If you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, you can either click to or turn to uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, we're going to look at several verses, and so again, this is like a standalone message. Next weekend, uh, I'll start a brand new series, and today I've entitled this message called On Track. And uh, it's important for us, and it's important when you look at the scriptures, you realize that several times Paul and other, others would, would talk about this issue of make sure you're on track, make sure you're running the right race, make sure somehow you haven't gotten off track and you started like running a different race. And so when you look at the Gospels, you realize when you, when you study Paul's writings that a, that a lot of times Paul relates to the Christian life like, like it's a race, it's a battle, it's a fight, it's a, it's a race to be run, won, and it's a prize at the end and all those other things. And so Paul talks a lot about this issue of the Christian life is like, like a race. And to make sure that you're on the right path, you're on the right track. And so whenever I think of these writings, I always think of my buddy Scott. And Scott and I uh, uh, were friends in high school. And Scott was one of those like long-distance runners, cross-country runners. And, and so Scott was really good. And Scott had a philosophy that he always would run in the fourth place, three runners ahead of him. And so he would run in the fourth place. In other words, when he ran a cross-country race, a long-distance race, Scott didn't care about a map. He didn't even ask about what the directions were or what the markers were or anything like that because he always ran in the fourth position until they re-entered the track and, and then it was well marked out. And then Scott would, like, make his move. And so usually Scott would, Scott would win. And so his senior year of high school, Scott... Uh, makes it to, to state. And um, so he does what he normally does. He didn't care about how the track was laid out or the marks of the track or anything like that, even though the coach told him over and over, make sure you know, because Scott always ran in the fourth place. There was always someone there to guide him. The problem was in the States that there were, there were some guys that ran a lot faster than Scott had ever, guys he'd ever run with. And so he was running the race, and the, the, he was running in the fourth place just like he normally does, three guys ahead of him, and they, they got way ahead of him to where he could no longer see them. And there are a group of runners behind him, and so he's like in this middle, he's like running all alone, and so he comes to this place where like there's, there's this fork in the road. And so as he's running, he kind of flinches just real quickly. Do I go right? Do I go left? And there were some, there were some, some, some spectators that are like on the side of the, the race, and all of a sudden they go, right, go right. And so Scott goes right, and as Scott runs past them, he could hear them snicker, and then he could hear them kind of laugh, and then he realized, you know what? They're not wearing the colors of the Bay City Black Cats. We're not purple. And so he realized, you know what? They tricked him. And so he turned around, he ran about 20 yards, he turned around, he ran back past them and let them know what he thought about that whole deal, and then he, he took off running. And so Scott, Scott didn't finish well, because something happened and he veered off of the track, the, the, the race that he was supposed to run. So this is what Paul's saying in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. He's talking to them about this issue of know the race that you're supposed to run, and then run it well. See, Jesus helped us to understand that in a verse that was... Uh, the second verse that I memorized when I became a Christian, Matthew 6.33. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus said this. He said, but seek first the, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things are going to be like added to you. In other words, that was like the priority in your life because if you, if you know the race that you're supposed to run, if you know the direction you're supposed to go, then it helps us just like stay on track. But then, you know, it was years before I ever understood this verse. 
I mean, what, I mean, really and truly, what does seek mean and what does kingdom mean and what does righteousness mean? I mean, to me, it was like churchy terms. It was like preachy terms. It was like, it was like King James Version only language. I mean, it was confusing to me. You see, the word seek simply means this, to pursue, to run after. And then, but you, when you look at this issue of kingdom, what, what is the kingdom? What does it mean? I mean, Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God. Jesus talked a lot that, that we enter in, when we become a Christian, we enter into the kingdom of God. And so what are kingdom of God principles? Jesus talked about this a lot in Scripture. And a lot of times we're confused about what that means. And the best way to understand the kingdom of God is just to look at Jesus' life and look at how Jesus lived and look at the things that Jesus did because Jesus continually did the will of the Father. It wasn't his will, it was the Father's will. The fact is, it's interesting when you look at the first thing that Jesus said, the last thing that Jesus said in his life, the first thing was this. Jesus said, I, I must be about my father's business, the local church. So now we know the church has some kingdom principles in it. The church is supposed to be the picture of the kingdom of God on earth. And so the way we relate to one another, the way we serve one another, the way we help one another. And then the last thing that Jesus said on the cross was, Father, into your hands I, I commit my spirit. And so from, from start to finish, Jesus lived his life for the will of the Father. He followed him. Jesus helped us later on in Matthew to, like, understand this thing. When he said this, he said that the focus of the Christian life is just to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, for Jesus, spiritual formation was this, to love God, love people. And we live that out various ways by worship and serving one another and life groups and and, and ministry and impact and all those other things. But spiritual formation for Jesus was just simply love God, love others. Just come to the place to love your neighbors as yourself. And a lot of times when we think love our neighbors as ourselves, we kind of we picture that where we're looking out. But I need to remind you that your, your house is like in your neighborhood. And so it starts at home. And we love our neighbors, the people around us, as we love ourselves. So in, in, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul said this, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and do not get tied up again in the slavery to the law. In other words, he, he set us free. And so what Paul is saying, he set us free, so stand firm. In other words, make sure you know the path that you're on. In other words, what Paul was trying to help them understand is, 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 is don't get it caught up into the, the path of works. The path of works is like trying to earn the approval of God, trying to earn the acceptance of God by something you do or by some religious thing that you do. See, Paul would tell us this. In fact, this is what the gospel is. is Jesus, Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. What was happening is in this church, they, got, they kind of got off track, and they said it was Jesus plus something else. For them, it was Jesus plus circumcision. It was Jesus plus obedience. It was something else. And so Paul was, was worried about that. And then, but others were on the path of, you know what, I'll, I'll just do it my way. In other words, I, I prayed the prayer. I've walked the aisle. I've been baptized. I've, I've been homogenized. I've been pasteurized. I've done all of that stuff. And as a result of that, like, I'm, I'm good to go. So now it doesn't even matter how I live. It doesn't matter the choices that I make. It doesn't even matter how I live. And so Paul's like, the path of works and the path of, you know what, I'll, I'll just do it my way. That, that, those are not good paths for you to, to be on. See, the, the gospel, the gospel is not only meant to be believed, but it was meant to be o- obeyed. In verse 7, Paul says and says, and he says this, he says, you were running so well. I mean, it's like Scott, you were running so well until someone told you to go left instead of going right, or go right instead of going left. And so Paul is frustrated because he says, you're on the wrong path. 
In other words, it, it's, it's meant to be applied to your life. And I think a lot of times when you start to look at, looking at this about conversion and people's views of it, it, for some it's like a birth certificate and others it's like a driver's license. A birth certificate is, is mainly just how, how do I get to heaven? But a driver's license is this, how, how do I love God? See, a birth certificate, all, all it does is just a piece of paper. And all it does, it tells you where you were born, who you were born to, the country you are born in, and, and all those other things. But a driver's license is dramatically different. A driver's license is a permission to operate, a permission to, to like, drive. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, you express your faith the way you love God and the way that you love others. So Paul, in verses 5 and 6, gives us four things so that we know that, that we're on track, what the right track is. Let me read these verses, and then we'll, do the, we'll run through the four things, and we're going to take communion together. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness of God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. And here, here's his focus. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you express that faith by your actions. So I want to give you four things that Paul would say, this is how you know you're on the right track. The first one is the right track is, is to live through the Spirit. The right track is to, is to live through the Spirit. In the book of Galatians, Paul talks a lot about the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. That the moment of, of conversion, when, when we accept Him, that the Holy Spirit comes into our life to reside in our life. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives us power uh, to love God with our, all of our heart, with all our mind, with all of our strength, to love others as ourselves. He's the one that gives us the power to, 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 to fulfill what God has called us. He's the one that, that gives us the power to, to forgive. Uh, verse 5, Paul, Paul makes this statement. He says, but, but, we, but we live. We live by the Spirit. And Paul is the one that says, it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who, who lives in me. So in other words, that Christ lives in us. He empowers us to live out the, the Christian life. And so we're not, we're not free from Christ. We're free to Christ. Our, our, our Christian freedom does not, does not mean it's like a birth certificate. And it, it's just about a, a baptism. It's just about a religious thing that we did. It's just about a decision that we made. And that as a result of that, you know what? We're just free. We're free to do what we want. We're free to live however we want. We're free to make choices however we want. And it, 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 it's, it's different than that. And Paul says when, when you get into that life, it's like a birth certificate. He says, really and truly, it's, it's like bondage. It's like bondage to your own sinful desires. It's bondage to the consequences of, of like, like, like your, your actions. And all of a sudden, you become in bondage when you run that path. When you, you become in bondage to, to, to like yourself, and so we're, we're free to Christ, not free from Christ. And, 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 and in, in other words, he's the one that empowers us to obey Christ and obey the Scriptures. G Jesus said in John 15, 10, he says, When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you, may be, you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will, will, will overflow. Not, in other words, what Jesus says, when Christ comes in you, when you have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, all of a sudden, everything flips for you. Everything changes for you. And it's not, it's, 
it's not you have to, it's you get to. I mean, it's where you come to the point where all of a sudden his desires become your desires. And he goes on in 1 John 3, look what the writer says. He says, loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. In other words, his commandments no longer burden you down. Why? Because you got this Holy Spirit in your life. Because you got this power in your life. And all of a sudden, as you, spiritual formation is to love God and love others. And as you love God more, you'll love others more. And he said, all of a sudden, you understand that, that obedience and love of God or, or love for God goes, goes hand in hand. And so the, the, for them, the law at one time was a burden, and now it no longer is. Galatians 5.13, he says, he says, for you have been called to live in freedom. My brothers and sisters, do not use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom. Here he goes again. He's just like, he's just like hammering this. To serve one another in love. To serve one another not because you have to, because you get to. To serve one another because all of a sudden your service to others, the way in which we serve one another through life groups or through, through impact ministries or, 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 or through worship or however we do that, all of a sudden is, a, is an overflow of joy. It's an overflow of love of, of the Father. And so the second thing is so that we're on the right track. The right track is to, is to live by faith. The right track is to come to that place where we just live by faith. Verse 2, Paul says, listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then I, I, I just need to tell you that's the wrong track, that's the wrong path, and Christ will be like no benefit to you. In other words, what Paul is saying, if it's Jesus plus something else, if it's Jesus plus the law in their case, if it's Jesus plus circumcision, Paul is saying, if you're trying to work to get the approval of God, if you're trying to work your way to heaven, if you're trying, if, if, if you believe that that path is just, just to do more good works than bad works, and hopefully at the end of your life you'll, you'll settle it out and you'll, you'll have more good works than bad works and you get into heaven, Paul says, like, Christ is, like, of no value to you of what he's done on the cross. He said, and it becomes bondage because he said, Paul is like, either he's of value to you or not. And he goes on in, in verse 3, he says, I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. In other words, you got this burden of the law. If you're trying to work your way to heaven you got to live a perfect life because only perfect people get into heaven. And thankfully, when we accept Christ, we're, we're, we have the righteousness of Christ. We're in right standing with him. We're, we're perfect and complete and lacking nothing. But if you try to do it on your own, what Paul is saying, nobody can live a perfect life. And now you've got this burden of, of, of this path of like, of, of like works. And so he goes on and says, verse 4, he says, For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by... By keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. And so don't let this, this phrase, you've fallen away from God's grace, like, like freak you out and say, oh, is, is he saying that you can lose your salvation? No, he's not saying you can lose your salvation. The scripture teaches that once you become a child of God, you're not a child of God one day and not a child of another God uh, another day. Um, Paul uses terms justified in the scriptures that when we come to Christ, we're justified. You never seem that they were once justified, and now they're like unjustified. What he's talking about this issue is that you're falling away from grace. You... you you no longer have a strong grasp 
of how much God loves you. You're trying to earn the approval of God. You're all of a sudden, you're looking at God through the filter maybe of man or someone else and think God's love is conditional like other people's love is conditional to you. I don't know if you're like me, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this more next week. How's that? But let me, let me just say this. I won't give it all away. I so want to. When I, when I became a Christian, um, I, I, I don't know if you're like me, but it took me years to realize how much God loves me. It took me literally years to figure that whole deal out. Because some of my past and some other things, I thought it was works. And so there were days that I did better than others. And so there were days I thought God loved me more today than he did yesterday because I did better today than I did yesterday or or God loves me less today because I didn't do as well today as I did yesterday. It took me a long time just to come to that place. This is what Paul is trying to help them understand is that God's pleasure in us is not based upon our performance. Instead, God's pleasure in us is based upon Christ's performance for us. And there, there were days in that period of my life that I literally would, someone, a mentor had taught me, and two or three times during the day I would, I would just meditate on and just remember and say, God, you love me. God, you just love me. And I'm trusting, God, you just, you just love, not, not because of what I've done for you, not because of what I can do for you, that you have unconditional love for me. And when I finally, and I still from time to time struggle with that, probably as we all do, everything flipped for me. And I began serving him out of an overflow of love from him. And everything changed. It's a beautiful thing when you can come to the place and realize that God in heaven loves you. Not because of your performance. Because of Christ's performance for you. The third thing is the right track. Is to live in hope. And the, the, these, these principles of Paul, they just, they just keep building one on top of the other. And, and um, I really hope you, you grab how they, how they build because it, it, it just changes everything. Verse 5, he says, but we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness of God. God has promised to us. So Paul now is talking about something future. That's why it's so important that we take communion today as we lead into that in a few moments. But he's talking about something that future is something we're waiting for, something's going to happen. Um, and, and so when we, when we meet Christ, when we accept Christ, uh, we, we've, been, we've been justified. We've been, uh, we're being sanctified. Uh, we, we have peace with God. God loves us. 
We're, we're in right, we have the righteousness of Christ, we're, we're, we're hidden in Christ, we're in right standing with God, and, and all, of those, all of those other things. But what Paul is trying to help them understand is, is there is coming a day. We would refer to that as judgment day. Now listen, we, we probably, none of us are, depending on where you are, what path you're on, none of us really look at that day and say, oh, judgment day, I, I, I don't know. Why, why would Paul look forward to that? Because a lot of times we have a bad picture of, of what judgment day looks like. And Paul is like, there's coming a day when we're all going to like stand before him. And when, when we stand before him as a believer, we're going to experience, when we see him face to face, we're going to experience a full understanding of our righteousness in Christ. The righteousness of Christ is going to be like fully applied to our situation. To where I think it's in those times that we will understand the depths. I mean, we understand that we're forgiven now, but it's kind of clouded. It's kind of, uh, some days maybe we do better at that than others. But sometimes there's that, there's that sin or there's that action or there's something in our past that we're like, ah, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, how, how could he forgive me for that? I don't know. But when we see him face to face, what Paul says, the full righteousness of Christ is going to be applied to us. And all of a sudden, we're going to understand the depths of the forgiveness, the depths of God's love for us. And Paul says, I cannot wait for that day. See, I cannot. Now, listen, if you're running the, if you're running the path of works, that's a day you're not going to look forward to. Why? Because there's always more religious box to check off. There's always more good stuff to do. You're always wondering, have I done more good stuff than bad stuff? If you're running the race of, it's like a birth certificate, it doesn't matter how I live. Then you may not be looking forward to that day. But if you're running the race in such a way that Paul is talking about, then the, then, then the freedom in the Christian life is, I, I anticipate that day. I cannot, when I cross the finish line, and I see him face to face, and I get to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I realize how much he really does love me. It, it is like what Paul says, it's like a game changer. And yes, we still run this race. And yes, we still sin. And yes, we still fall. And, and we battle with our sin. And, and, but we long for the day when we cross the finish line. And he comes to that place that we just hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Listen, let me tell you something. If, if you're running a race of works, or like this birth certificate Christianity, it doesn't matter where I live and, and what I do. Let me tell you something. Man, Paul would encourage you, just get, get, on the, get on the, understand what Christ has done for you. And express your love for Christ by loving God and loving others. Serving Him. The last track is this, or the last way to know. The right track is to live, live with love. The last track is to live with love. In verse 6, he says in Galatians chapter 4, And because we're his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now, Abba, Father is the most intimate word in their language for Father. I mean, it's, it's, it's this intimacy. He's saying faith is expressed by our actions. Our Christianity, our faith is expressed by how we live. It's expressed by our actions. It's expressed through love. The book of James and the book of, of 1 John both tell us this, that, that, that if we have faith and not works, then our faith is like, is like dead because faith is, is what we work out our Christianity. It's the way we express our, our Christianity. And Paul is saying love, loving God and loving others is essential to our faith. I mean, the scriptures tell us this, that Jesus says the way that they're going to know your mind, the way that you're going to know you're a Christian or my disciples is the way in which you love one another. 
So how can, we, how can we ignore others? How can we ignore the needs of others? How can we ignore the, the poor? How can we ignore the needy? How can we ignore the needs of a local church? How can we ignore the needs of our community? How can we ignore the needs of our family, our, our, our neighbors, or whatever? In other words, we express our faith by actions. Verse 13, the scripture says, For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But do not use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. In other words, it's Christ that produces this type of love in you. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he said, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. When Christ is living in you, it changes everything. It changes the way you love God. It changes the way you love others. It changes your actions. It's, it's true New Testament community. Paul ends this up by quoting Jesus, and he says, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. It's that love expression that we have for others that we have for him. I was reading a biography here a while back, and school teacher is writing, and she tells a story about a student named Bobby. Uh, she was a third grade teacher. Bobby, Bobby was one of those unique students. Uh, Bobby was cute, and he was like winsome, and he, was, he, he, he had a quick wit, and all of those other things. And so he was mischievous enough to be liked by the students, but, but he was also kind enough, and he turned in all of his work, and he was, he was studious, and all of those other things. And so he was also liked by the teachers. And so Bobby was a, was a teacher's pet. I think it would be a wonderful thing to be a teacher's pet. I was never afforded that opportunity, but I think it would have been a wonderful thing to be a teacher's pet. And so Bobby was, was her pet. And so she loved Bobby. And so Bobby turned in all of his work on time. He worked really hard, and, uh, but, but he had a problem. During test time, he had a little bit of test anxiety, and he would, like, freeze up, and, and he couldn't answer questions that he knew ten times over. And so the teacher knew that, and so one day they're taking a math test, and the teacher is at her desk, and she's grading tests from the class before, and she looks up and meets Bobby's eyes, and she realizes Bobby's having trouble. And his lower lip is quivering, and, and tears are not far away. And so she gets up, and she makes her way around the class, helps other students. And so she comes over to Bobby, and she looks down at his paper, and she kind of straightens it up, and she says, Bobby, um, did you forget to... to to add here? And he goes, oh. And he quickly corrected it. And she said, Bobby, did, did you forget to subtract here? And he goes, oh. And so he corrected it. And so she said, Bobby, did you forget to divide here? And he goes, oh. He says, thank you. And he started to correct it, and she went back and took her seat at her desk, and then she said it was almost like the Spirit of God just whispered to her and said, you're a lot like Bobby taking a test. There are some things in your life that you need to add to your life. There are some things that you need to subtract out of your life. And there are some things that you need to divide your time better out of your life. And she said her lip began to quiver. Tears were not far away. 
That's what Paul's trying to communicate to us. So we start out 2018. Are there some things we need to add to our life? There are some things we need to subtract. There are some things that we need to do a better at dividing our time. That's why it's so appropriate that we take communion together at this time. 